844-5-CRUSADE is our telephone number. Website's at crusadechannel.com. My website is at mikechurch.com. It's where you can join the Mike Church Show live chat. I haven't even mentioned it yet today. And uh, joining the chat is free. Don't cost nothing. Hope to see you in there. I'm actually in the chat room. Now, to the Dude Maker hotline, you're saying hello to an old friend that I haven't spoken with in a few years. He is the founder of the Texas Nationalist Movement, and uh, their website is at texasnationalist.com. He's also the author of a book, Texit, uh, Why Texas Will Leave the Union, and he's also the author of a previous book, A Line in the Sand, that was written back in uh, 2010, 2012, somewhere around in there. He's an all-around uh, uh, he's an all-around gentleman and a first son of the state of Texas. Everyone, put your hands together and please say hello to Daniel Miller. Daniel, it's been far too long, my friend. How are you? It has been, but you know, here's the thing: uh, the the fact that uh, you and I haven't spoken in years means that you just introduced me like I'm a wrestler, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> you are a wrestler. <laughs> uh, now, uh, uh, my personal bias might come through here because, as a as a show of appreciation, back in 2012 or 13. Uh, we went to an event in, gosh, I'm trying to remember if it was your event or not. It was in Houston. I brought my daughter, who was then 13 or 14 at the time, and you awarded me a Bonnie Blue uh, Texas uh, Independence flag, the blue field with the white star, and some kind of acknowledgement from the TNM. You know that flag is still hanging up in my garage? That's great. That's great. It needs to be in a more prominent place. <laughs> well, I wouldn't want anyone in Louisiana to think I was a Texas nationalist. Well, you know, pe- people are uh, people are afraid that we're everywhere already. You know, so uh, it would be the first one flying outside the, the borders of Texas. Right? Now, I started something that is kind of, and I haven't put very much time into it lately. I, I, I confess, I, I should. And uh, it was kind of based loosely on your model, but we call it, and there's a Facebook page out there. I, I just, I never update it. And it's called the Louisiana Independence Party for much yeah. of the same reasons why you started the Texas Nationalist Movement. So um, I have a couple of, uh, uh, of questions for you. Some of them uh, may be tough, but you're up for the task. I know that. The first one is uh, if Texas were an, an, an independent com- uh, country, a sovereign entity, you think that you would have been bombing Syria last weekend? <laughs> that, that's not a tough question. Uh, you know, I I, I think uh, you know when when you look at at this whole issue with Syria. Uh, strangely enough, I'm going to tie this back to to this last election. You know, there were there were there were uh, right after Trump got elected, there was this idea somehow that this idea of Texas independence would sort of fizzle. Right, this. This idea somehow that Texas and, and the drive for it was an itch that Trump would scratch. <clears throat> and and what we told everyone was that's not the case. I mean, we surveyed our people. Uh, you know, we know where they stand. But you had to, uh, you know, you had to acknowledge that there were a certain portion of people out there mm-hmm. that were willing to give the federal government or fixing the federal government another crack, right? They, they thought, okay, look. We'll throw a rattlesnake into the tent, 
<laughs> you know, maybe that'll shake things up. And so, uh, and I can tell you what I've seen since the Syria bombing is, is a lot of those people that sort of went back into that neutral position on the issue of Texas independence uh, are on fire. I mean, you know, our, our memberships have been rolling in. Our support pledges have been up. We, we've had uh, all kinds of, of folks that are contacting us via email, telephone, telling us, okay, look, this was it. You guys were right. So, you know, in, in independent Texas, and, and, and if you look at it from a, from the way that most Texans view things, uh, Texans, by and large, have, have not been supportive uh, of these actions that have uh, that have uh, really kind of gone outside the bounds of, of the Constitution. Look, mm. Texans want to be friends with people. We want to trade with people, uh, you know. But the the general the general sentiment is that we should not be involved in in all of this foreign uh, nonsense. I mean, what what is the price and what is the purpose? Yeah, I. Uh... Would love to say that the people of Louisiana were of similar opinion, uh, but war fever getting the better of too many uh, too many MAGA supporters these days. Um, uh, I'm seeing pretty much the uh, the the opposite of that now. Uh, there's there's, there's but, but a... Mike, let me Mike, let me say this though before before we move on to something else. Sure. The the the, the challenge here is is that. This this issue, whether it's the Syria issue or so many issues, mm-hmm. have not been properly placed to people. I mean, you, you have to look at it from the standpoint that a lot of the people that are jumping on this, you know, war fever bandwagon, uh, are doing so with some confirmation bias. Right? They're they're looking <laughs> at this to justify a decision that they made back in 2016 during the election. And so, you know, th- this is a, a lot of the challenge that we have. But y- you take that issue out of it. You know, let's get this thing down to a real deal debate about the uh, the direction of the federal government, the relationship between the states, how we are used and abused by a federal bureaucracy that does not know us, that does not care about us, that does not understand us. And all of a sudden now it's a different ballgame. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I still find a lot of opposition out there for just uh, if you use the S word, the term secession. <laughs> if you blurt the S word out, this is where the dividing line. Uh, this is where people start uh, quoting international law and it's illegal. And would you rather? Do you really want to do this and that? Um, uh, or, or do you really want to leave the union? Are you sure that? That uh, that the Constitution allows this and all these legal questions, but before you and I talk about any of those, and we can, I think now my view of these uh, of of leaving the union and of uh, of independent sovereign states is it has evolved just a little bit. So um, this is really the, the the tough question that I have for you, Daniel Miller, the Texas Nationalist Movement. What would you say to someone like me that says, well, you know, I'm all for redefining and maybe reorganizing our political affiliations and uh, uh, structures so that they are much they look much more like they looked when they were ratified back in the 1790s but i fear though that because we have so poor of a moral foundation 
and so poor, quite frankly, of a religious foundation to support that moral foundation, that even if Texas secedes or Louisiana secedes and is successful in it, you're just going to have a smaller group of the same moral outrages and, and atrocities, and it could devolve into just another never-ending revolution. Talk me down off the ledge. Yeah, you know, I think it's it's interesting because that line of thought presupposes that somehow that we are better served, you know, whether it be uh, strengthening of our moral foundation or mitigating the consequences of having a poor moral foundation, mm -hmm. that, that somehow that is, is served by being part of a political and economic union which strips us of our right of self-government, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and I, think, I think we have to look at it. We have to look at it from a practical standpoint. No, number one is your your entire contention is is that if we were to somehow roll this thing back mm -hmm. uh, to where this uh, to where the union was back in, in 1790, uh, well, that's a big if, uh, you know. But honestly. From a Texas perspective, and frankly from any other state, mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're not in 1790. And the, the odds of, of putting the federal genie back in the bottle uh, are, you know, honestly, it's, it's a lot easier for us just to, to leave and govern ourselves than it is to try to convince people in other states, not to mention the federal bureaucracy, to jump back in that bottle. So, you know, that that's not that's not really... I think where where this is headed, uh, I don't think it's that practical. Uh, nor do I think that being part of this this political and, and economic union uh, serves us uh, serves us well from a from a moral standpoint. I'll give you a great example. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, w one of the challenges that we have here in Texas and, and also other states, uh, you know, have the same challenges is that we are vehemently. Uh, anti-abortion. Yep. Uh, Texas has some of the strongest anti-abortion restrictions. However, uh, it is the federal courts uh, that continue to shove Roe v. Wade down our throats. And, and so, you know, one of the things that, that I tell people often is, look, if you are a pro-life Texan and you say that you're willing to do anything that you can to protect the sanctity of life, but yet you are unwilling to entertain Texas leaving the union, then you really aren't pro-life, right? Because you, you have elevated this political and economic union over this, this sincerely held moral belief, this right to life. So, you know, this is, this is the, the kind of thing that we're, that we're out there talking to people about it. Mike, let me, let me just flip this around because I actually talk about this in the book. Okay. Because I think this gets back to some of the difficulty that you have uh, you know, when you when you throw the S word down on the table, uh, one, one of the things that we have have uh, done is we are, we are sick and tired of playing defense to these ridiculous arguments that come from the opposition. Uh, you know, we we have smacked down. We we love to call them Project Fear. You know, based on what they did during the Scottish referendum and during the Brexit debate. Uh, but that's what it is. It's a lot of fear mongering. But what we've done is we've started turning the tables and we start asking people. Uh, out there, and we say, look, if Texas were an independent nation right now, mm -hmm. knowing what you know about the federal government, would you vote to enter the union? And all of a sudden, the debate shifts, and now we can have some real conversations about, you know, uh, you know, the, the selling points of the union. You know, the twenty-one trillion dollars worth of debt. I mean, that's a real good selling point, right? 
Well, there are a lot of good selling points. Daniel Miller is the uh, founder of the Texas Nationalist Movement. The book is uh, Text It, and the website is uh, texasnationalist.com. And uh, uh, Daniel and I have been um, affiliates and brothers in arms for quite a long time um, uh, on this issue of independence and the sovereignty of the states here. Uh, I'm going to try one more uh, small angle here on this, um, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on. Here's my fear. This, this is where my, my uh, thinking on this has evolved. My fear is not that, that, that we can practice uh, self-government, and I don't think that we can ever put the genie back in the bottle. My fear is that um, if when states secede and leave the union, because I think that they will, my fear is that one of the errors that within the context of the federal union, I just don't think that case can be made. Uh, as long as as long as we are outnumbered uh, through that system uh, by people that do not share our our beliefs and our values, uh, and can utilize that system at any time they want to to impose their will upon us, uh, then you know we've got some serious challenges. Eight four four five two seven eight seven two three is our telephone number. Daniel Miller is the founder of the Texas Nationalist Movement. And is my guest here on the Dude Maker Hotline here. Our website's at MikeChurch.com. You can join our live chat there. If you have a question for Daniel, I'll be happy to pass it on to him. Uh, just send it along. Go to MikeChurch.com, click Mike Church Show Live Chat, or you can put it up on the Twitter feed. Uh, my Twitter address is at the King Dude, and Daniel's is at the uh, Texian DM. <laughs> Uh, let, 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 let's go back to political talk here for, uh, for a moment, Daniel. What's the mechanism? Is it a ballot initiative? Is it just a resolution? Because uh, I know that there have been a couple of attempts inside the biannual meeting of the Texas legislature to draft some kind of articles of secession. What do you see as the mechanism? How do you see Texas getting out of... Uh, not that you need an excuse. Now, you and I come from the same place on this. There's no prohibition in the Constitution of a state leaving it. If you can ratify a Constitution and join a union, then you ought to be able to, to uh, nullify your contract, basically, and leave, voluntarily leave a political union. But there's an awful lot. Texas, what, 40 million people? How many people? No, no, not quite. Uh, we're we're pushing on. They're they're estimating next census to be about thirty million. Okay, thirty million people. Uh, Harris County, if you were to just count the economy of Harris County, would be like the thirtieth largest economy on the face of the earth. So there are two other cities, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, and San Antonio, there that are huge uh, economies in there. Obviously. The federal magistrate is not going to want to let <laughs> that tax base go. So, how do you see in the book Texas? How does Texas get? How, how does Texas get out of the federal union? Look, it's 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 pretty straightforward. Okay. Like um, you know, you and I have have had this conversation before, but it, it's amazing to me how few people understand how this would work, which is why I, I went through the entire process in the book, because, frankly, I just got tired of talking about it all the time and having to explain it to people. But, you know, here's the thing. You and I, like you said, we're both on the same page here. Uh, there is no prohibition. So, you know, when we when we talk about that from a legal standpoint, both constitutional and international law, we're on solid footing. So we, we have to talk about 
really what the process is here in Texas. Uh, and and it's, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, Article 1, Section 2 of the Texas Constitution uh, reserves the right to reform, alter, or abolish our form of government. And it says, in any manner we think expedient. So for us, that means that we have to utilize uh, first, you know, our, our, the first stop on the legality train here is we have to use existing structures and forms within the state government. So wh- whether it's constitution, statute, whatever. Uh, so what that means for us is is that we want to have, we're going to have to have a referendum because it is a political question that must be put to the people. Uh, now, then the question becomes, how do we get that referendum? Well, Texas doesn't have uh, initiative or true referendum here in Texas. Okay. Uh, well, you know, n- nothing, nothing citizen initiated, right? So what that means is is that we have to get legislation passed in the Texas legislature to authorize this issue. Now, the, the good news about this is that uh, there's already legislation that's been drafted. Uh, the last two sessions, we came closer than ever before to actually getting the legislation introduced. Uh, and in the last session, we we were shopping around what I think is perhaps uh, the most well-constructed piece of legislation ever uh, on this issue uh, that's ever been, uh, you know, that's been introduced or, or given to the Texas legislature. So I, I suspect that as we move into the next legislative session, which will start in January, uh, that we're going to continue to build on that success, and, and we're going to see how it plays out. It's the Mike Church Show here on the Crusade Channel at crusadechannel.com here on a Monday. We are live with Daniel Miller, the founder of the Texas Nationalist Movement. Uh, now, let's just pretend for a moment that the the ballot initiative uh, or, or that particular legality actually gets prepared by or finally makes it to a vote. Now, the last time this came up uh, and there was a serious opportunity for this to actually maybe even make it to the next level, which would be for the uh, governor to sign. I think Rick Perry was governor at the time. Um, It made it all the way to, like, the final hurdle. It was in the last committee that it needed to get out of, and as is usually the case, it was sabotaged or torpedoed or somebody bailed on the idea to... um, Actually, uh, uh, go ahead and pass it and let, and let the entire Texas uh, Assembly vote on it and send it to Rick Perry, who was kind of rambling on about secession in those days. So let's just pretend for a moment that the legal part of it actually happens. I seem to recall that one of the, um, in, in the earliest days of Texas's uh, independence, if you will, that there was an agreement that was made somewhere in 1843 or 1844 or so that Texas, if it ever became independent again, would reserve the right to, I believe there are six separate states inside or sovereign entities inside of Texas. I think there's uh, one in the, there's two in the southeast, there's one in the north, there's uh, one in the west, and there's one in the middle. Is that any part of the consideration, uh, 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 and do you write about that in the book? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I touch on what's going to be known as the five-state solution. That's what it is. Okay. I, the, the, yeah, that's that's a, a, a that's actually a, a topic that I think almost deserves its own its own book. Uh, because here's here's essentially what happened when Texas came into the union. Mm-hmm. It was annexed by a joint resolution of Congress, which 
there's obviously some question about the legality of annexing a state by joint resolution of Congress. Yep. Uh, since you have essentially two two political sovereign political entities, uh, should have been done by treaty. But what most people don't realize is that Texas was not uh, it was not admitted into the union by treaty. Uh, the treaty was submitted to the United States Senate. The United States Senate voted it down. Uh, so you know you, you've got a, you've got a challenge there. But as part of the joint resolution of annexation, one of the provisions was <clears throat> that Texas. Uh, was granted a special right to uh, to essentially divide itself into four additional states, and the way that the the verbiage is is that those states would be granted admission. Okay. Which the verbiage in and of itself is interesting, since the fact that it says that Texas could create four additional states, and that those states those states would be granted admission. Doesn't mean that they're. It doesn't say that they're automatically granted admission, but it, it essentially implies by the verbiage that those four additional states would have the option to enter the union if they so choose. So, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of, of interesting irre- irregularities because there was no severability clause in the joint resolution, uh, and the fact that Texas was granted special uh, provisions uh, means that, uh, and because they're. You know, states when they come in are supposed to come in on equal footing under the equal footing doctrine. Uh, there are some some actual interesting arguments that you could follow that because there's no severability in the joint resolution in, in the agreement, and it's a the the five state solution is a, a essentially a violation of the equal footing uh, doctrine. Uh, then it renders the entire annexation null and void. So there, there are some there are some interesting arguments. Uh, they could be made from a, a legal standpoint, but we have to talk about it from practical terms. Right, and right. Practical terms mean that we need to take this to a vote. Yeah, and and uh, uh, Article Four of the Constitution is actually the the clause that deals with admitting new states. Now, what's it's always been interesting to me. Um, uh, you probably all of you listening out there to the Mike Church Show here, and my special guest Daniel Miller of the Texas Nationalist Movement. You've all heard of the horrid, the worst Supreme Court decision in the history of Supreme Court decisions, the Dred Scott decision, and what a uh, what an, a xenophobic, uh, uh, racist, bigot uh, justice Tani was, and this and that and the other. Well, before you go and you sign off on that and say, okay, yeah, he was, and you just repeat what you've heard, do yourself a favor and go read the Dred Scott decision. Because while there is an admission in there that the three-fifths clause is still in effect and is still legal and stands an amendment, that's exactly what you should say if you don't want Supreme Court justices writing laws. Justice Taney also said, and this is where it's important, and this came up in the, uh, the Clive and Bundy case uh, and all that stuff, that was, that those shenanigans that were going on out there. During the first years of the Obama administration, uh, 2011 and 12, um, Justice Taney actually says, look, Congress, the, the framers of the Constitution were explicitly referring to the Northwest Territory when they wrote the Territory Clause. That's, that, that, that we're explicitly referring to the Northwest Territory, which would mean... Where's your constitutional permission, or where, where's where's your uh, uh, your hall pass, if you will, for the U.S. to have to claim that it owned 
Nevada, Montana, Wyoming, parts are outside the Northwest Territory, uh, Utah, I'm trying to think of what else was in it, um, uh, whatever those uh, countries were. So there was a very flimsy legal basis for much of what uh, happened when Congress decided that they were going to start owning lands and then they were going to, uh, to assert that they had the authority to do so. Um, and what Daniel was saying was, well, you know, Texas' this case is, is kind of outside of that. It wasn't a territory. It was, never, it, was, it, was never, uh, it was never presented, and no one ever thought of it as a territory. Instead, it was thought of as a part of, uh, of, of, of Mexico. And then, of course, there was a, 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 a secession there or a, a, a split of, of, of that affiliate, of, of that alliance there. I mean, basically... Texas joined the Union out of convenience. It was good for the Union because it gave passageway from Louisiana to then Arizona and then New Mexico and, of course, California. So uh, for, for, the, uh, for the Union, it, it makes sense. But it was Texas's choice. You guys did not have to join the Union, did you? No, it's, uh, it's actually interesting that the... The sentiment here in Texas was divided uh, for for quite some time, uh, and but the the sentiment against Texas joining the union uh, was extraordinarily high in the United States at the time. Uh, as a matter of fact, Abraham Lincoln, when he was a congressman, uh, stood on the floor of, of Congress and argued against the annexation of Texas. Uh, but it's you know it it it, it really has uh, there, there's a lot of obviously a, a lot of interesting history, and I mean that's. That's wonderful, um, you know. But but the fact of the matter is, is that really serves to inform us more about what the true nature of the relationship is between the you know not just Texas and the the Union, but really all states in the Union. Right, right. Uh, you, know, you know, it's 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 interesting to note that Texas uh, was not a province of Mexico; uh, it was a state of the United States of Mexico. Uh, it, and most people don't realize that's actually what Mexico is still called to this day is the United States of Mexico. Oh, I talk uh, about Texas it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Texas left a federal union uh, because of the usurpation of its constitutional rights and the liberties of its citizens, to, you know, whether it's, it was the right to keep and bear arms or even just the right to draw a breath. Uh, you know, Texas, Texas made the decision to leave. And, you know, were it not for... and again, these unusual terms of history, were it not for the fact that the propaganda machine ramped up inside the United States uh, and, and basically scared everyone into thinking that Texas would be a foothold for for Great Britain if it was not admitted into the Union, uh, then, you know, we things might be a little bit different. We wouldn't be having this conversation about <laughs> Texas leaving the Union right now. Of course, it didn't hurt that Sam Houston sent a map to him and said, look, if if you guys don't agree to letting Texas in the Union, here's what Texas will look like. And he drew the map all the way to the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> I'm sure that didn't sure sure that didn't hurt the cause at all. Yeah, I'm sure it didn't. Uh, Daniel Miller is the founder of the Texas Nationalist Movement. Uh, the book is Texit. Now, before Texit, uh, your first book was called Line in the Sand. Now that right. was the story uh, of independence, I guess, right? No, it, it actually, you know, if you're comparing the two books, uh, I wrote Line in the Sand to deal with sort of the core philosophy of Texas nationalism. Okay. Know, back, in, in 20, back in 2011, 
there were uh, a lot of folks that just didn't understand what Texas nationalism was. I mean, they didn't understand what that you know this idea that Texas is a nation and and what nationalism is in sort of the context of global geopolitics. So. Uh, it was, you know, it was sort of the, the philosophy about Texas nationalism, just un- helping people understand, look, here, here's what a nation is. You know, here, here's what a state is. Therefore, here's what a nation state is, and here's how Texas fits that bill. Uh, whereas, so if Line of the Sand is a book really about philosophy and about Texas nationalism, then Texas is a book really about motivations and process. Okay. Uh, it, it is a, a extremely... Uh, it's it's very detailed, uh, dealing with the process, not just of, of how we got to this point, but how we move on to actually get, uh, gaining our independence and a look ahead at what that could look like moving forward. Do you hear uh, in conversations that you have with people that are reticent about Texas leaving the Union for some of the reasons that uh, many of the propagandists in Great Britain try to convince people that they should be reticent about leaving the European Union. Do you hear some of the same tactics that, well, you won't have a currency, uh, you know, Louisiana will refuse uh, to trade with Texas, we'll be surrounded, we're landlocked, except for a little sliver, uh, you know, except for the uh, the coastline of the Gulf of Mexico, et cetera, et cetera. How do you address the proper, how, how do you address the concern that you'll be isolated and economically made uh, poor, if you will? Well, just just to give you an idea of how much I see the similarities, I literally have a chapter in the book called Project Spear, <laughs> which <laughs> which deals with all of that. You know, it it really is. Look, some of the most ridiculous opposition arguments uh, that you you could imagine, I have heard by. I mean, it's it's surprising that I have not heard, you know, the, the argument that, well, you know, if Texas leaves the Union, what if an asteroid hits? I mean, that's the kind of realm of ridiculous uncertainty. But what I do in the book, Mike, is, is I take all of these issues, uh, whether it be trade, travel, uh, whether it be the, the people that have uh, accumulated federal benefits, uh, I take all of those issues, and, and what I do is I don't generate any new information. What I show... It's how it actually already works in the world, mm-hmm. what United States federal policy is. Uh, and, you know, and, and what I do is I extrapolate from that and say, look, this is how it's, this is how it's done right now. Uh, so if, if you wanted an analog mm-hmm. post-independence that minimized disruption, this is how you would handle it. Uh, you know, people talk about trade and, tra- you know, travel is, is one of the ones people are concerned with. I'm like, why do you want to go to Oklahoma? They're like, well, you know, it is the largest county in Texas, so we would like to be able to travel it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, the so you know, I actually deal with that, and I, and I go, look, you guys realize that you know, almost every year, uh, you've got millions of people that travel between Mexico and and Texas and the other border states with nothing more than a border transit card. I mean, they don't have to apply for a tourist visa. They don't have to go nope. through all this paperwork. Nope. All they have to do is apply for this card, and they travel. And so there's like, I think the, the, the stat was like almost a million border crossings every single day between Mexico and the border states uh, that are that are affected by this border transit card. Uh, I look at, you know, the issue of, of tra- uh, trade. You know, look, how are we going to do business with, with the United States? I mean, you know, people say this. It's like, well, first and foremost, 
they're going to want to do business with Texas because you know 90% of the uh, exports that we have uh, here in Texas are the technology exports, and you know so it's not just oil and gas. Uh, but beyond that, you know, I, I show, look, you're already effectively in an economic union of sorts with every country that the United States federal government has executed a free trade agreement with. So when you do business with, some, you know, someone in Oklahoma or Louisiana or one of these other states, uh, it is effectively like you're doing business with South Korea or Jordan or any of the 22-plus other nations that the United States has a free trade agreement with. Uh, there is essentially no difference from an economic and trade standpoint between a state of the union and some of these countries that the United States has executed a free trade agreement with. So I, I go through I go through all of that because I, you know look I I get tired of hearing it, Mike. Now <laughs> being honest, it's, you know you know it, it's it's uh, fascinating to me that you got Nigel Farage to write the foreword to the book. Texas. Now, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> Nigel didn't write the foreword. That was that was a, a mock-up of the the cover that someone did. Oh, okay. Uh, what, but, what the copy? But, okay. What, was he yeah. going to? Uh, there were there were discussions and and some conversations, but as you might imagine, the relationship that he has with the the occupant at Pennsylvania Avenue put the kibosh on that. So, well, uh, yeah. It was kind of it, it was disappointing. I was disappointed. Well, but, uh, how interesting that the uh, the kibosh was put on uh, uh, Brexit from teaming up with Texit. <laughs> now, yeah. now there, there, but there are some um, some uh, serious uh, um, similarities here, and some things that you can take away from what happened in uh, in, in, in the UK. When the UKIP started in 1988, the United Kingdom Independence Party, there was three, well, there were like three members, but there was one MP, Farage. That was it. Um, when Brexit finally uh, got to the, to, to the polls and it ultimately it, it, it passed via referendum, uh, basically the UKIP was a force to be reckoned with inside of the uh, uh, the UK. Now, what would be kind of tempering uh, Texas uh, independence from the United States would be that you you now have the uh, the story and you you can see how the Brexit has played out. To my knowledge, the United Kingdom is still in the European Union, and now the will of the people has been thwarted. Uh, you know, the will of people that voted basically has been thwarted by the elite ruling masters in Parliament. They're not going to let them leave. So, do you have any fear of that? You're right about that in the book. Even if, if, if the people of Texas said, yeah, we want in, we want out, that the, uh, the, the, the legislature, the government, the government of Texas would say, yeah, not so fast. We're going to have to think about this. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, a, a lot of that from our perspective, depends on the the legislation that enables the referendum okay. and, and how, how tough that is. And actually, in the book, uh, I include proposed referendum language and, and some things that, that Texans need to, you know, that support Texas need to look out for. Uh, but, look, I, I want to go to your other point, sure. uh, which is uh, this, this idea of these analogs between us and Brexit. Look. Mm -hmm. Uh, we draw information and inspiration from 
from all of these referenda around the world, you know, whether it be the, the U.K. referendum or whether it was the Scottish referendum in 2014 or what went down in, in Catalonia, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I write about that a little bit because, you know, it was we had to get the print, so there were, you know, some developments after that. But, you know, to, to your point about Brexit, uh, because I, I think it, is, it has served as a, as a very strong model of instruction and information for us, uh, number one is, regardless of, of what the, the ruling elites do in the U.K., uh, the fact of the, the matter is, is that the clock is ticking. Uh, once they invoke the Article 50, uh, they've got a two-year clock on that thing, and whatever the deal is that gets hammered out is what gets hammered out uh, if there's an extension. But but I, I will say this. Given the, the number of people that supported Brexit, mm-hmm. which <clears throat> polling numbers show that the number of people who supported it is higher now than it was before the referendum, uh, particularly because of the very poor treatment that the U.K. has gotten at the hands of the bureaucrats in Brussels. Uh, if if Theresa May uh, and, and the Conservative Party uh, do not deliver a true Brexit, uh, what you're going to see is that not the previous general election result, but the, the one before that where UKIP got, uh, got, came in uh, essentially the, the third place <laughs> Uh, as far as voting goes, knocking the Lib Dems out of the boat, uh, you're, you're going to see a, a seismic shift uh, to UKIP voters because at that moment the voters of the UK will know and they will understand that the only party that will deliver a true Brexit that the voters uh, said that they wanted will be the UK Independence Party. Right. Uh, in, in a very, go ahead. No, I was going to – I, I think that, that that's, that's a very likely possibility. Although uh, they are bound uh, to uh, have to act upon the referendum. Otherwise, what's the point in having a referendum? And uh, the history of the people of the U.K. and not getting their political way when they've been told that they're going to get something uh, is not a pretty one. So Theresa May may want to act upon that. Uh, Daniel, we're just about out of time. Final question. How large is the Texas nationalist movement? And is it larger? Is, is, or are there other? I know in Vermont you have the uh, Vermont Independence Project, and there are people that want Vermont to leave the state but aren't members of the Vermont Independence Project. Um, I know in Alaska there's the Alaska Independence Party, um, uh, and there are people that think that Alaska, Alaska should lead the uh, the union as well. And but that to me is a no-brainer if they weren't being bribed with all the federal dollars that go back there. But they're not members of the Alaska Independence Party or the Alaska Independence Movement. So how big in terms of numbers would you put uh, the Texas Nationalist Movement and the push for Texas independence? Well, it's it's uh, it's a great question, uh, and so I think I think we have to look at it two ways. First off, um, look at the the Texas Nationalist movement. Okay, uh, registered supporters are currently over three hundred seventy-seven thousand. Okay, okay. So if you put that in the context of other political and advocacy organizations, uh, we had a, a study that was someone else did that was sent to us. Uh, you know, it was almost a, I guess about a year and a half ago now. And essentially what it did was it compared the TNM's numbers to other advocacy organizations as a percentage 
per capita of registered voters in the area that they serve. So a, a good example would be, uh, you know, we compared us to uh, the NRA was one of them and, and said, okay, look, what the number of declared supporters for the, for the NRA in Texas, hospital in Texas, unless you have faculty or, or at, a, at a clinic in Texas, unless you have faculties, practicing faculties, medical practicing faculties, uh, credentials, if you will, at a hospital. And, of course, it was sensible. It made sense. And the federalities came in and said, yeah, we're not going to let that law stand. That'll be fresh in people's minds. And you're right. Second, uh, right next to Louisiana, uh, uh, you guys are as pro-life as any other state is out there. Well, Daniel, um, it's great to get an update on all this. Where do folks go to find out more? Uh, many Texans listening right now that may want to join the TNM or contact you about it. Sure. Uh, you can find out more about the organization at TexasNationalist.com. And then, of course, uh, April 21st, San Jacinto Day, the new book, uh, Texas, Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union, drops. It's uh, available for pre-order right now at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And it'll be available at all major uh, book retailers starting April 21st. And uh, that comes out on San Jacinto Day. You said April 21st? April 21st. April 21st. Five days away. <laughs> well, congratulations on the book. It's good to hear from you. I, I, I want to keep uh, tabs on this and keep talking about it. So uh, we'll have you back soon, as soon as there's something new to, 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 to report. Uh, thanks for your time, Daniel. Always a pleasure, brother. Thanks, Mike. It's great to talk to you again. Yes, sir. We'll talk soon.